Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. We are back. Sorry. This is, we'll call this part two. We got cut off um, of the last thing that we were doing, which is the age and the dating of the Sphinx and the geology of it. Uh, I am joined by special guest Robert Schneiker, who is a geophysicist. Um, if you want more information on all that stuff, just reference part one. And uh, yeah, I did a nice intro for that, but we're going to keep it rolling here. Um, and we were talking about the dating and the age of the Sphinx. We got a little philosophical towards the end of that episode. Uh, but I want to bring it back cause I do have some other questions, um, regarding, you know, stuff that we mentioned and everything in part one. But, um, so just to recap you, your hypothesis is that there was a period 40 million years ago that caused the conditions of the Sphinx um, that appear that it has erosion, but it does not have erosion. It's just the composition of the rock from the event that happened 40 million years ago. Well, I think I wouldn't. I think you're I'm, I'm probably wrong. I, mean, I butchered really cool it. That, that happened. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I would just say that because the rock below that, the, the, the member two didn't all get deposited during the Miko. In fact, that was prior to the Miko, and that's where it's softer and exactly why that rock is softer i don't know I, I i i can point to the one particular layer just at the neck and say that i can explain why that's soft but it's you know changing an environment and so the rock no matter how it happened that rock was so soft by the time the ancient member two section of the sphinx was so soft when they came there sections of it were so soft you could crumble it in your fingers and so you can't carve that into a sphinx. And so what I'm suggesting they did, <clears throat> and, and Zahia Was says the same thing, is that they pounded that layer back. They only So they used two-handed pounders, which is a rock about that big, and they would pound on it. Stone hammers, a smaller rock, carve some notches, put two sticks on them, tie them together with leather, and bang. And they use copper chisels just for detailed work. So if you use those techniques, that's going to mimic erosion. And it fooled me, and it's fooled everyone else that's ever looked at the Sphinx to think that that's actually erosion. So is it directly tied in? Is it really important that it's part of that particular event 40 million years ago? No. Is it cool? Yeah. I mean, that, like I said earlier, that's like finding the iridium layer. And there's an extinction event. That That's all of a sudden all the fossils that were there in members one and two are gone. And there's no fossils in the head. <clears throat> what happened? Some, some geologic, uh, geological event happened right there. And uh, hyperthermals, which there were many of them, um, were produced by the release of huge amounts of carbon dioxide to Earth's atmosphere. The PETM, the largest one, the amount of carbon that was put into the atmosphere 
is somewhere between one to three times the known fossil fuel reserves on Earth. So everything we know of and maybe three times that. You can't even find that much carbon. And we know that it's an organic source of carbon that was released because there's a carbon-12 excursion. And what that is is when a plant does photosynthesis, <clears throat> it takes in the stable isotope carbon-12 over the other what is it, 14 carbon, and, and, and it should know that. And, and, and it concentrates that in the organic matter. And if you were to burn that organic matter, then the excess carbon-12 is released into the atmosphere. And so geologists are measuring a carbon-12 excursion. They're saying, holy shit, look at all this carbon-12 that went up into the atmosphere. And then based on different sources, because different plants would concentrate carbon-12 at different levels, and that's where they come up with that range. And so <clears throat> there's a whole series of those, and the MECO is the, is the one that happened 40 million years ago, and it's just an insane coincidence. <laughs> it's not key to the argument that I'm making, but it's just insane that that's exposed in the, in the Sphinx. But what I'm saying on the Sphinx itself is that it wasn't eroded, it was it was pounded back, and it looks like erosion, and then on top of that, there's an imprint of a minor erosion from wicking groundwater with the salt that, that's at lower sections only of the sphinx and sidewalls. <clears throat> and that's what creates that, the rounded pattern. So if you look at the sidewall of the sphinx, it's very rounded. Yeah, you're talking if about you like the fissures it, over your shoulder there. I could pull up that slide yeah. too from... Um, well, I, yeah, you can kind of make it on on the on the sidewall there. But if you look at yeah, the Sphinx yeah. itself, it's not rounded. They don't look the same. Mm -mm. So the lower sections are eroded to some extent, not much, by the wicking groundwater. Whenever the Sphinx enclosure fills with sand, well, then <clears throat> that gets turned off. And most of the time, it's been buried in sand, so there's very little erosion, and that's and that's happening now. And in fact, a dewatering system has been installed beneath the Sphinx. That's why I was mentioning earlier that Mark Lehner was there when they were when they were drilling. They weren't drilling for the purposes of examining the rock, which Mark took advantage of. They were drilling to put in pumps to draw the water table down because here's a mystery. The water table beneath the Sphinx has gone up. And there's there's numerous reports by a consulting company and they're trying to figure out where is the water coming from? Because in the past, it would have been easy to explain where the water is coming from because before the Aswan Dam, which was completed in 1970, the annual floods would come through and that would recharge the groundwater. But since then, since 1970, there's been no floods. And yet the water table beneath the Sphinx has gone up in a desert. <laughs> How does a water table go up in a desert with no precipitation and no Nile, no flooding? And, and it's a real mystery. And, and again, I figured that one out. It took me, again, a long time. And the answer is, <clears throat> is that the area is paved now. It all used to be farmland. And when that was farmland, the water in the, in the soil and in the rock that was saturated would wick up and evaporate at the surface. Today, it's paved. I don't know if you know this, but the Sphinx is staring at a KFC pizza hut. 
Do you know that? Oh, I know that. I can. I've seen the pictures of like you see all these wonderful pictures, and that shows the reverse, and it's like modern BS garbage. Yeah. You know, fast food and stuff. Well, I mean, it's right there. It's what the Sphinx is staring at, and so that's all paved. It's all covered in buildings, and it's all paved. And what that did is it trapped the water underneath. And there's a canal not too far away. They were lining it when I was there, which I was really pleased to see. And so the canal was dismissed as being a potential source of the water because it's been there long before the water tables ever came up. So they are looking and they're saying, well, it's watering at a golf course. <laughs> there is a Mena House golf course to the north. I'm like, no. In fact, if they did an on-site well, they'd actually help to dewater it by taking some of the water and putting it at the surface and letting it evaporate. <clears throat> the consulting company, they said, well, maybe it's sewers. So that's what that's why the water table is coming up, because you got all these buildings with their sewers. But if you have sewers, you're going to have night. in the water so that'd be an easy marker <clears throat> water supply infrastructure and that's what's causing the water table to come up and i'm like no it's the canal and it's that they paved it and that water can't evaporate anymore and that's why the water table's gone up so, so that's another mystery i solved <laughs> um yeah that's actually kind of crazy but yeah that makes sense the modernization obviously has definitely has an impact on the environment there um well and that's so, what's also weathering that's what's eroding the sphinx today and so the dewatering system is put in because as the water table goes up more water is waking up more salt is forming and more erosion is occurring there. yeah um in part one um so that's, I think somebody was asking about that. So you think that the salt deposits breaking off, that's what's causing the rounding of the fissures, the vertical fissures around the base of the Sphinx? Oh, exactly. Yes. Okay. Yes. And it also explains why you don't see that on higher sections of the Sphinx body. In fact, I don't know if you see it at all. Right. Um, now, do you know if like shocks, I, I asked you if you've talked with him, but do you know if he's seen your take on this or, um, cause some of these people, you no rarely idea. hear from them. They're not like, you know, I, I, I think his wife was on Twitter and I reached out and said, Hey, I'd love to have him on the show and got denied. So, um, there's only so much I can do, uh, to have, you know, the voices out there, but, um, yeah, I mean, I would love to see his take on what you're saying because obviously he's a geologist pushing his own ideas and um, to have you come in with your ideas might be an interesting back and forth. I don't know. That would be fun. <laughs> you know, I actually, a part of me, when I looked at Chuck's background, he actually studied the Eocene, which is what, what that was 40 million years ago. <laughs> so I feel like man, he's, he's the one who should have figured all this out. And because he's so enamored with finding, you know, a lost civilization and all of that, I think he missed it. And and there's no reason, because that's not my area. That's not what I studied. But that's exactly his area. And he didn't do it. Well, <laughs> I mean, he, he says it in his Rogan interview, if I recall right. He's talking about his background 
his mom or grandma being an uh, anthroposophist, which is obviously connected to Rudolf Steiner and his philosophies and ideas and things like that. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that, you know, you're drawn to mystery, you're drawn to the mysticism. So it's like, um, maybe even as a scientist, I mean, you, you're a scientist. I, I think you're aware we're all human. We all have biases, cognitive biases. You can't even get around it. Even when you're aware of it, sometimes it's still, you know, we like to think science is this empirical thing. And even within the empirical sciences, but it's really humans still interpreting a lot of the data, um, and coming to conclusions. So, um, you know, maybe our backgrounds color. I mean, color. that's why scientists are yeah. so harsh. Yeah. Scientists are so harsh to each other for that very reason. It's like, you know, and, and, and like I said, it was probably about four or five years, actually it was more than that, that I was thinking that the Miko might be exposed in the Sphinx. And I didn't say much about it. I didn't present a paper on it <clears throat> until I was looking and I kept looking for some external verification. And all of a sudden one day somebody walks up and says, I think you're right. And I'm like, well, here it is because like I said earlier, this is this is my take on it, you know, and, and it's easy to delude yourself to think that something is happening a particular way. And so I, I, I basically held off on that. The same thing with the paper I'm working on now on the uh, the lack of erosion on the Sphinx. I, I was working on it with David Miano and he had it for a while. And uh, who's also got a YouTube channel, and and he challenged me with something on it, and I was I don't want to get into that right now, but I was like, man, you can't do that. That's impossible. That's the, and then I was like, you know, and I gave him all the reasons why, and I sent a long email, and then about two weeks later, I suddenly went, oh, that's already been done. I know where it is, <laughs> and 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 the results made my paper a much stronger paper. Yeah, I don't know and, much you know, about but... Yeah, I don't know much about him personally. I've never really engaged with him, but I have seen some of his videos. Um and yeah, I find them interesting. I think he goes a little hard um in the paint on some of the fringe people. Um maybe they, you know, I don't know. I just feel like if you had an open and honest dialogue with him, he he definitely goes hard at those people in a way that uh I can see why they react, the alternative people, the way they do. Not, I'm not saying either side's right or wrong or anything like that, and that's maybe how the discussion should be had, but you catch more flies with honey, and um, you know maybe him going on a trip with some of these alternative people or vice versa to some of these locations might change he some minds. He actually knows. Yeah. He actually, I mean, he, he knows Annie XT and um, met up with him in Egypt and uh, I think others too. I don't know the details on that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I honestly, I don't, I don't know. I, I try and stay out of like, I don't know, the drama aspects of it. You know, like I said, I'll follow, you know, I'm not, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't like debunking things because you're immediately coming from a place where you're going to try and poke holes in it. I don't like that. I'm not saying that that shouldn't exist, but I'm just saying, do the site like if you start from zero yourself and you come to a different conclusion i think that's different than saying i don't like what that person's saying because this this and this and this but then they don't go through the steps to even get to there does that make sense or no i don't know 
Oh, it makes total sense. And again, I saw one of his videos think... too on like Soma and, and ethnobotany in the Far East, and just seems like maybe he gets out of his depth a little bit in some of that stuff. Um, you know, again, like what we were talking about before, like you can only know so much, you know, on a topic or something like that, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing where it's, I'm very sensitive to people that uh, when they start talking about like ethnobotany, psychedelics, things like that, and they kind of paint it in a certain way that maybe they don't know what they're talking about. I'm very sensitive. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I've found these things. Has, has David done that? Um, I don't think it was like disingenuous. I just don't think he did his research on Soma, Homa, the etymologies, the Indo-Iranian migrations and the, the basically the ritualistic aspects of it. And like they've definitely found archaeological sites with mushrooms on tapestries, cannabis, opium. They found all of these different things associated with ritual. Um, so I, I definitely think that there's... Um, Again, is he might be a smart guy, and I think he gets again. I think like you mentioned it before, ego can kind of get in the way a little bit sometimes, and you kind of start running away with things you maybe don't know too much about. So he's I gotta say he's impressed me with his knowledge and the time that he takes. But I can't think of it right now. But he did a video where I was like, well, it's not quite right. I'd have to look at it again. And I was like, I mean, that's that's the common perception. And it wasn't a major point. It wasn't like it didn't make or break the video. So I didn't even say anything to him, but I was like, no, I think that's wrong. I remember thinking, but I don't know what that was, something in the last couple of months. But not, it wasn't, it wasn't blatant. I mean, it was, it was an easy, kind of And, and, easy and I don't want to say, like, I've seen a lot of his videos where like, that makes sense, or that's interesting, or I learned a ton from one of his videos. But again, I think, like I said, when you start coming at other people and you kind of got an ego and a vibe about you, you're not you know, you're not infallible yourself, you know, like, I think that that's kind of where I'm going with that, but. Yeah. So do you have any, were, were there other questions on the Sphinx? I've been talking yeah, a lot, so, kind of going off on tangents. No, no, you're good. You're good. Um, do you think that I mentioned before the samples, you mentioned Mark Leonard, um, taking advantage of when they were like drilling and stuff like that. So that's my question is like, when they're doing that kind of stuff, doesn't somebody collect the dust or like the stuff, like the the the, the rock or the the ma minerals and material that's coming off of that to like test later on? Or you know, I would think that that's the perfect opportunity for that. Whether yeah. it's allowed out of Egypt or not, like you said, that's probably not going to be the case. But you know, well, you would think that, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Um, and I don't, I can't. I mean, when I asked Mark, you know, I, I assumed he told me that, yeah, you can see those cores and he knows where they are and they're precious and, and easily accessible. And, and instead I get, yeah, they're, they're gone. <laughs> they're locked in some warehouse. <laughs> I was like, what? I don't know. I mean, I'd, I, I mean, even if Mark was, maybe they didn't allow him to take those because maybe I'm guessing that they did some like geotechnical analysis on those. I'm sure they did now that I think about it. And so it is possible, although I think unlikely, that they were maybe destroyed in, in some of the tests that they were doing. But I mean, they'd be doing like permeability tests to see how fast does the water flow through there. Because just like 
creating that boring that I said at the end of the Sphinx, you'd put these in and you'd see what kind of rock that you have. And then you'd put a pump down it and you'd measure the water level and, and see how it's changing based on your pumping. And then that would tell you <clears throat> how you would design a system. How many, how many wells do I have to put in and how close are they to each other? How much am I going to draw the water table down by doing this? So they may have done a lot of tests with them. I'm guessing those, I don't know, but Mark said that they're gone. <laughs> that's all I know. I don't know if that. They're in that Indiana Jones warehouse somewhere, right? Yeah. With the aliens and the, yeah. Um, I recently watched that little clip to just laugh and go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do what's, is there anything that you find other than now, like the research you, you said you're working on a paper for the whole uh, Miko stuff, but do you think that, is there something that else that interests you about it? Like, is there another mystery or some other aspect about it that you've uncovered through looking into it and being there and that kind of stuff? Well, I mean, there is the, the water table and uh, the dewatering. There's another one. It escapes me right now. It's in the future. <laughs> I've got two other people. Well, no, so no, I've got the two. So the one isn't the Miko. The one is about how it was constructed with blocks from day one. Oh, I'm sorry. And I just uh, was referencing. That's what I, yeah. I don't know what to call it. So I did yeah. that. I did that. I did a poster presentation on that at the GSA conference. And the reason, so I presented twice at the GSA, once in Vancouver in 2014. And then again, <clears throat> in uh, last year in, in Denver. And I chose the Geological Society of America because, according to John Anthony West, that's the gold standard. That's that's the that's the Super Bowl of geology is the term that he used. So I have present. Who am I? I'm a guy who's presented twice on this at the Super Bowl of geology, according to John Anthony West. So, you know, they can't dismiss me as somebody who's saying, well, he doesn't really know. He hasn't put enough time into it. He's he's a geophysicist. He's not a sedimentologist, and stratigraphy, and all. I presented papers on that um, at that location for that very reason. <clears throat> In terms of other mysteries, I mean, I feel like I've answered the mysteries of the Sphinx to my satisfaction. But as I said, when I gave the paper to David Miano, he poked holes in it, which is good. And 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 it's going to be a better paper because of that. Yeah, I mean, so, that, that's science, I mean, right? I mean, yeah. So not on the Sphinx. Um, for me, what would I, I mean? So I mean, like when I went to Egypt. Thinking about that, I went to the Nylon, which is the Valley of the Whales. So it turns out it's 40 million years old, roughly the same age. And I kept looking in the rocks around. So it's like 60, 80 miles, something like this outside of Cairo. It's in the Sahara Desert. So you drive down a road and they're trying to construct a road to it. And so we first we drove in a regular car, then we had to get into a four wheel drive vehicle and drive for like an hour into the desert. 
And I mean, it's driving for an hour into the Sahara. I mean, it's like National Geographic. It's, and you get there, and there's so many whale fossils, and 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 it's like a movie because these are in soft sediment. They can just kind of brush it away, and they decided to leave the 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 whale fossils just lying on the ground. Do they know and, what kind of are they extinct whales? Or are they whales that are oh, still? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're like early carnivorous whales. Mm. And there's and then the question is why are there so many of them concentrated in this area? And they're in different layers, not all exactly <clears throat> in the same layer. Um, that was just a fascinating experience to do that. I know this isn't answering your question, but then the really cool thing is that we stopped at one point. I thought we we're just stopping for a photo op. And then because we could just see into the Sahara. I mean, it's 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 um what's the movie um with Peter O'Toole um of the desert. Oh, Anyways, well, yeah, you just, yeah. <clears throat> so you can just see for miles and miles and we and, and as I'm posing for a photo with my friend, I can see they're letting air out of the tires. I'm like, oh, we're going off roading. And we did. And we started off-roading all over in the Sahara Desert on the dunes. And again, it's like just amazing. And then we got stuck on a sand dune. That's not something you, that's not something where you want to get stuck, right? The Sahara is probably the oh. last place you want to get stuck. <laughs> End up like one of those whales. So it was it was, you know, that was just so much fun. Um the other thing, I guess, am I interested in? Uh, so the, I was saying we weren't going to talk about it, but I, I, I've also looked at Quebec the Tepe. Let's do. Let's and when yeah, we, we can talk about that. But... Well, also, well, I want to say that when I when I because I'm when I met Randall Carlson in Mexican Hat, we kind of talked about bantered back and forth a little bit in terms of what do what do I know and what does he know. And I said, well, I know the Sphinx. And at that point, Gebekli Tepe, I said, I'm not familiar with the channel Scablands at all. And he said, well, I'm familiar with the Sphinx and I'm familiar with the Scablands. So that year, <clears throat> I went to the Geological Society of America meeting in Portland. This is when the guy walked up and said, I think you're right. But I went on a four-day field trip with the principal investigators of the Scablands. Uh, that was a really, really cool trip. Oh, I know what I want to talk about. As I was putting this presentation together, I realized something, and, and it's great because it makes you think when you're putting it together and I'm like, I have to be coherent. I'm gonna be talking to Mike and I have to have coherent things to talk about. So I was like, and you, and you try to, as much as you can oversimplify or, you know, or simplify it so you can have uh, points that people can understand. So then I was like, okay, I realized that Hancock and Carlson and Chuck and a lot of them, they really messed up. And the reason where they messed up is they've now tied everything to the Younger Dryas. Everything is centered on the Younger Dryas, the Channel Scablands, Gobekli Tepe, the Sphinx. It's all the channeled scablands. As I already pointed out, Shock is wrong about the Younger Dryas being a period of intense precipitation. It's exactly the opposite. It was a dry period. So that doesn't work. And Gebekli Tepe, I have video 
where there's a, a program where Klaus Schmidt is talking to an archaeologist and, and, and they're trying to say, well, how old is it? And he said, well, you know, the dates, I think now are 11.3 to 11, 11.7 to 11.3 uh, for thousands of years. And, and he goes, and, and, and Hancock and all these people point out that the larger enclosures are older. And we know from ground penetrating radar that the larger enclosures have not been excavated. And we know that at the time, only like 5% of the site was excavated. So to say that we have a hard and fast date on Gebekli Tepe that 100% ties in with the Younger Dryas is a reach. And like I say, I got a video where Klaus Schmidt is talking to an archaeologist, and he verifies that he Klaus Schmidt thinks that, that Gebekli Tepe goes back to 14, perhaps 15,000 years ago. I have Graham Hancock on a video saying that Klaus Schmidt believes that Gebekli Tepe goes back to 14,000 years. All of a sudden, Hancock forgot that. It's lined up with the Younger Dryas. So do we, do we know for a fact, can anybody with any certainty say that Gebekli Tepe is tied in with the Younger Dryas? No way, no way. And in fact, Klaus Schmidt thinks opposite and Hancock knows that. So now let's go to the channel Scablands. So I got Here we there go. and I was like, <laughs> I was like a novice on this. And I'm like, okay, just learning. And you know, it was with Brian Atwater and Vic Baker and Richard Waite, um, Bruce Bornstead, these are, and, and others, these are the principal investigators that were there. At one point, when we're out in the field, I asked Vic Baker who knew Brett's personally, and I said, do you have any idea what Bretts would make of people like Hancock and Carlson? He instantly, Vic instantly responded saying he would be incensed. Hancock and Carlson try to make it like they're the ones who are speaking for Bretts. If somebody's going to speak for Bretts, it's Vic Baker. It isn't them. And he's the one who can tell the you story. Know, have, have the, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I've been out of the loop here the last few months with my own uh stuff going on but like do you know if like carlson's ever talked with this vic baker guy or is this just something that he may have it's really weird he was talking to um jerome lessman has been on and jerome is one of those principal investigators and i'm like and i think that's good that he should be on and but i don't think he realizes how much of a what Carlson sounds like, although he denies it, as a young Earth creationist, he he's all about catastrophism, and and he's putting in catastrophic events where they don't exist, and um and, and I, I haven't seen much of what he said about being in Utah, where um where it was where I tracked him down, but it sounds like he's like taking the geology of Utah and turning it into this catastrophic event where things have quieted down. So if if you, the history of geology is, it kind of started out trying to prove the Bible was right and use that as a guidebook to understand it, the earth. And so for, if the earth is only 6,000, 10,000 years old, whatever date you wanna use, there have to have been all these catastrophic events that have since quieted down and now we're in a, a different time zone and it was like magic. 
And Carlson basically says exactly that. But getting back to the scab lands, I want to point out <clears throat> there was one point where we went to a, an outcrop in the field. It was downstream from Dry Falls. It's lake sediments. And in it was an, a, a volcanic eruption. Now you can date the volcanic eruption. And it turns out that because, and, and it's downstream, if, the, if this sediment was there, when, uh, when, a, when one of the Missoula floods came through, or and according to Hancock, there's only one, and again, it happened at the Younger Dryas. Well, the Younger Dryas is like a thousand years after this ash layer formed. This I mean, yeah, one so outcrop proves go Sorry. Go that all of, the, all of the floods occurred about a, the last, at least a thousand years before the Younger Dryas ever happened. Proves them wrong. So, so, I mean, so like, I mean, I would say for that, I mean, I would take probably less of what Hancock, or like none of what Hancock says on the geology if I was going to talk. I mean, I've had Randall on the show a few times. He's always been super honest and kind and forthcoming and it seems like if he doesn't know something he'll say he doesn't know it he definitely reads a ton of scientific papers he definitely does a lot of research um i would love to have you both on the show and and, and talk it out i mean i don't know enough about any of this to say who's right or wrong i know they take trips out there regularly um i know he's definitely put in a lot of time i can't I, I don't get the young earth vibes i get more of like an esoteric understanding of catastrophe vibes if i had to say like categorize it but um that's just my take from from my interactions with him and seeing him on like rogan and stuff um you know i, I He's hard to he's hard to it's hard to understand because he says that he's not, but I'm like, but everything you're saying is, or a lot of what he's saying is. I also complimented him when I when I met him. I said that he does a fantastic job of describing basic geologic principles. He's very concise in the way that he describes that, and I told him he would have made one hell of a geology professor. <laughs> Yeah, I know he. No, I, mean, I mean, he, he, he does. He, yeah, I know he's he done some tutoring and stuff. He dude knows his stuff. Like I said, I don't know specifically on the Scablands or what's what or whatever. But I'm saying it right here now. I I don't know if I can get him on the show again to have a debate. I can try. Um, Randall, if you're listening or somebody that knows Randall, I'm I mean, here. I reached I reached out to Randall. I don't know, a few months ago via text to try and get him to come back on the show for just to have him back on just because I like the dude. Um, but, uh, yeah, if we can get him back on to have a conversation with you. I mean, look. I, I enjoyed the time with him. Yeah. I left him my beer, too, because they were running low. They were sitting around the campfire. <laughs> and I had some nice. good Wisconsin beers. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's like they need it more than I do. Yeah, there you go. Um, but, yeah, um, no. You know, that one outcrop that I, that yeah, I, I just want to come back to this. So that outcrop, so Brian Atwater was there, and he originally mapped it, and he mismapped it. So this is only recently that this was identified. And he kind of shrugged his shoulders and kind of apology, apologized and said, I mapped it as a silt when it's, in fact, a volcanic eruption, and it, and it helps to date, finally, because they haven't had a lot of dates on, on the scablands. It's, 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 and, and they haven't actually, and maybe they have since they actually haven't dated that particular layer, but that was in process 
two years ago and I was there, so I'm assuming they've done it. But there's only so many volcanic eruptions in the area that it could be. And it, it's, it's like, it's got to be that one. There isn't anything else that it, that it could be, but they are going to date more precisely. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll talk with them anytime. Yeah. No, again, that's what Mind Escape's about. Let's let's get the both sides together and figure out if, I, I, again, I hate people are like, oh, I won't debate that person or I don't want to talk to that person. Like, just have the conversation. If you're passionate about something, you can present your evidence or your points in, in a forum that's suitable. And I think I'm a fair person. I mean, yeah, I, you know, I, I can go either way on things, but um, at the end of the day, I'm here for truth too. I don't, I don't want history just to be written by the victors i want as truthful of a history as possible if that's even a thing um <laughs> but uh yeah i mean so like what i would like to do is maybe do a separate episode with you in the future maybe after the new year and do like go back Lee tepe because it seems like you know um a little bit more about that i think that could be kind of interesting um and then yeah if some you know, like i said we can try and set up the randall carlson thing and see you know i don't know um uh, but I, I, what i do know is the people that i've interacted with randall and some of the other alternative everybody's been super cool super kind nobody's been i would say dogmatic um you know i'm right they're wrong blah 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 blah. but i haven't had any of the real big dogs either that's you know the the some of the other people you've been mentioning so um I'm probably getting close to that um i was gonna say regarding debate i don't know if i'm really debating i'm presenting the evidence and i don't know if that's technically a debate but i'm just saying this is the evidence that i have um but i've also been told by at least one archaeologist that i shouldn't even attempt to debate that that, that and it that's was a very worst, lengthy that, yeah that's the worst very advice i've ever heard email giving me all the reasons why I, and it actually was from somebody who does challenge them in writing and i was like that's the last person i would have imagined getting that i told from. you that was stupid like that john's is it hoops or stoops or whatever the hell his name is graham hancock offered the opportunity for him to come on and debate them on Joe Rogan, the bit, literally the biggest platform you can have. So if you're Mr. Science, I'm protecting science, I'm putting my best foot forward for science, you have the best opportunity that anybody's ever had to put. If you think it's nonsense, that's the opportunity. And that guy cowered. Um, and then now we have Flynn Dibble step in. We mentioned him positive vibes his way it sounds like he's going through some health issues hopefully yeah. he he gets that straightened out um you know so look at the end of the day i think these are just conversations that need to be had we we live in an age of technology where everything's easy to discredit from behind a keyboard or post a, a paper or whatever and point to this and that or highlight this and that but we're losing the element of like communication and like dialogue and the ability to communicate, Hey, this is my idea. And if you read something on a paper or a text or an email or whatever, you're not getting the full context of it. They're, the human way of communication is so much more than just that. So. Well, I um, love it because when you do things like this, you come up, you make statements I don't know what it is about the environment, but our brains just seem to work in different ways. And <laughs> um, I was going to say about John Hupps, I think is the way you pronounce his name. He's got a video where he talks about why he wouldn't debate. 
And one of the points that he makes, I was like, oh no. He said that, you know, to interact with the public, because he just used that term or something close to that. And and he said, I do that all the time with my students. And I'm like, college students are not the general public. That, that's that's to, 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 to try <laughs> and equate the two, and that's part of what he did. And I was like, no, <laughs> they're, they're not the general yeah, public. Yeah, I mean, that's not even... Again, I, you know, whatever, uh, who knows, you know, I don't know. I, I, everybody is entitled to their own opinion on things and whatever. And obviously, but he seems to have strong opinions on, on things that he doesn't want to then act on, which is okay. Well then that's how should we take you seriously when you're not even willing, uh, to speak on your own behalf or the behalf of science. Um, so again, um, I think that the whole, just playing to the students thing. Okay, cool. Well, they know that you're, you're going to give them the grade. So they're going to sit there and listen regardless of what you're <laughs> saying. So, um, I mean, well, look, I, I hate to be on. like, like this, but it's just like, again, it's, it's speaking out of both sides of your mouth at the same time. Yeah. How many people are actually in his class, you know, at a college? I mean, he's not in, he's dealing with a very select group who've decided I guarantee to go to college you, and decided to take that class. That Rogan episode guaranteed would, to, 20 million, 30 million people would see that. Guaranteed. At least. I know. And so when I started this, I wasn't like trying to get on Rogan. People are like, well, that's the barrier. I'm like, no, I, when it first happened, it was Randall Carlson was on Uncharted X and he said he's got 20,000 papers and he'll go toe to toe with somebody. And so when I, you know, I wrote to them and never got a response. And I was just happened to be going out to Utah. And I said, well, I can happen to be <laughs> in Mexican hat on that day because I was planning on it within a, a day or two of that anyways. And it's like, yeah, so I'm not I'm not trying to get on to the, you know, the Joe Rogan debate. Then Joe Rogan proposes a debate and Randall Carlson says you won't get anyone. Well, who am I? And I know that he knows who I am because he misquoted me. I mean, and I think it's a reasonable thing is that he said, I think that the erosion of the Sphinx was carved by, it was caused by the wicking water. And that's not what I'm saying. It is the only erosion. And again, he's just assuming then that it's an easy mistake to make. But so he, but he mentioned that and he, you know, so he didn't mention my name, but he met, you know, tracked him down in Mexican hat. I'm like, yeah. But when he gets on Rogan, he says, no, you won't, you won't find him. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm here. That's when I started sending out emails because I'm like, okay, let's make this happen. I don't care where that is. Johanna James was one of the first people to respond. And I put it out to her. If you want to have me debate, I'll, I'll fly to England. I'll, I'll do that. I'll be on that. Let's do it. It doesn't have to be Joe Rogan. I'm just, he just made the call. It just so happens like two years later or yeah, well, a year later, I'm sorry, but yeah, I'll do it anywhere. Yeah. So um, again, open invitation. I mean, that goes for anybody, you know, with mind escape. Like I said, I don't, I don't like when scientists just push scientism and I don't like when fringe people come from only a place of woo and won't listen to any sort of scientific reason. I think that, if you are really after truth, whether it's the nature of reality or whatever, don't you have to look at 
all the evidence. So that means some of the more crazy outside the box stuff, some of the more strict academic stuff. Like, like, isn't that, don't you owe that to yourself? Like, I mean, yeah, you could go scientific method all the way, but I think that lacks context and science is really good at explaining how things uh, work or how things came to be, but not necessarily why. And whether is whether there is a telos or teleology aspect of it, um, I think that that's at least important to investigate, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we can... Uh, wrap it up here i think i asked asked all my questions regarding the sphinx at least for now maybe i'll when i'm putting this out there later i'll I'll, something will come to mind but i mean are you free maybe let's try like i said try and do something after the new year whether it be gobekli tepe i'll reach out to randall again and see if any you know anybody uh or he's willing to do it i mean i'm again i'm not the biggest platform out there obviously but uh i'm i'm Oh, again, willing to be fair and honest. I like Randall a lot, and I've had him on the show, and we've always had great conversations. So he uh, seems like a very pleasant person. Yeah, <laughs> like he I said, I met him, and yeah. they were sitting around. I and I didn't want to stay too long because I'm like, I don't want to interrupt their thing. And he's, he's super. He's person. a super cool, generous guy. I mean, like we talked a couple times. We talked an hour before and an hour after we were live, you know? So it's not like he's like in and out just business. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't, I, maybe it was a scheduling or something, who knows, but maybe, maybe you're not getting put off for the reasons you're getting put off. Who knows? Um, I don't know. Um, the day that I met him, he was exhausted and, and I can imagine that he was because he was, you know, he was on and he's presenting all day. Right. And and he's two hours different on his time, and it was like ten o'clock or eleven o'clock. So I mean, that's like one o'clock his time. So he was exhausted. It was a long day, and he, and they had another long day coming up. So yeah, he 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 was very he was apologetic and said, you know, I gotta go. And so yeah, we talked briefly. And yeah, okay, it well, I mean, it, it's worth a shot. I mean, regardless. Um, um getting back to it. So, Go ahead. Sorry. So Gebekli Tepe, yeah. I, so I did an article on uh, Gebekli Tepe, which is really weird, and I, I, I'm trying to figure out how this happened. But Michael Shermer asked me to review his appearance on Joe Rogan when he was on with Randall Carlson and Graham Hancock a number of years back, and somehow that transpired into me, Michael, asking me to write an article on Gebekli Tepe, and I said sure. And then I was like, I have no fucking idea what i'm doing <laughs> i'm no archaeologist <clears throat> and i had to give myself a crash course in archaeology and i had one of the investigators at Quebecly tepe jens notroff help me with the paper but I've, it, it turned out to be i think i actually made a, a contribution but yeah so that we could talk Wait, about did you that. say uh what did you say jens nordroff yeah jens yeah i think i, I used I don't know if I still follow, do I follow? I think I followed him on Twitter X. Um, he'd always post cool, like, like hand drawn or like traced yeah. T pillars and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Cool stuff. I, I bet he'd come on. I bet yeah. he, if you asked him. Honestly, I've asked so, like, I've met like probably like 
20 or 30 geologists on the DL on Reddit that say they would come on and then I try and follow up and they're never to be heard from again. Same, you know, it's, it's with the academics. I find it actually a lot harder to get them on, uh, than whether they're scared to talk just in, I mean, and don't take this offensively, but a lot of scientists seem to lack a lot of communication skills that current media would require. <laughs> um, and it's not that they're not smart enough. Obviously, they're smart enough. It's it's a it's more of a communication. Like obviously, you're here. We're having a great conversation. You have what we're talking about. It's like a, you know, it's a way to relate to people. And some people maybe don't have that. I don't know. But uh, either way, um, I've reached out to a lot of academics over the years. That's what Mind Escape again was supposed to be a mixture of fringe people, academic people, and I've had a lot of academic people on, but they're usually more of the more open-minded academic people. So Yeah, I bet you could get Jens on. You I'll try. Think, I mean, I'll try. I, the, the things that I've done, I mean, since I started this, I'm not one of those people, like if I'm at some place and there's a news reporter, I'm not the person that wants to speak. I'm, I'm very quiet. And then I ended up doing this. <laughs> And that I ended up doing that Wednesday night at the lab, you know, that I'm at home and it's airing on local television. I've seen that it's aired in, in San Francisco, my presentation. I'm like, how did I end up doing that? And I've got a friend who used to have a TV show on public. So good at communicating. I, I don't think I'm anywhere as good as that. Uh, and he's extremely knowledgeable about history and such. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to do that, but I, I kind of had to, because I work by myself. I'm not, I, I look at the college professors. That's why I'm surprised they're not coming on. They're, they're always speaking to the students. And they, I, I, do you know who um, uh, Nick Zentner is? He's, he's a geologist in, in Ellensburg. It sounds kind of familiar, but maybe not. I have no idea. I mean, I'm sure, like I said, I follow a lot of people online and stuff, and, and names pop up. But no, that one specifically isn't really sticking out at me at this point. He does. He's doing a lot right now on, on the um, – he's got a great YouTube channel that he started during COVID. And right now he's looking at in the details of the channel's gablands in extreme detail. And um, I look at him and I'm like, well, of course he can do what he's doing. He's this is these are the, he's been doing this for 30 years, getting in front of students. I'm some guy here working out of his condo. You know, and the only time I get to interact with people is like what we're doing right now. So yeah, I, I don't think I'm as nearly as polished as that, and it, it takes a lot of exposure, and I'm working on it to try and communicate. But I try. Yeah, no, I think it's just again, it's relating to people being open-minded and like what's that Richard Feynman quote about it's like if you can't describe something simply to somebody you don't understand it or something along those lines meaning that like mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of in super intelligent scientists out there but they don't know how to communicate what they have in their own head to the public or another person or whatever which makes it more complicated for the people listening to understand or, or you know trying to pull that out of there so um i think it's just like i said it's having these conversations uh long form podcasts getting all the thoughts out there and that's the other thing if you do enough podcasts you know you start to 
the gears start to, to, you know, get going a little bit and you start to think, oh, and you start making correlations and connections that you wouldn't have thought of before. And you're, you're the way you yeah. have dialogue with people improves every time you do it, you know? So yeah, I think it's just having these conversations and hopefully, you know, maybe scientists can find better ways given technology to interact with the general public in a way that's not necessarily demeaning, but also informative, something along those lines. So, I mean, your thoughts, we should go, but your thoughts on um, the thought process, you know, and and trying to simplify things, that whole thing that the little spiel that I went through on how they're tying everything into the younger dryers. I never thought of that. I never saw that. I never really put that into a concrete idea until I was thinking I have to have the conversation with you. And I was like, I was like, that's just so cool. And I went out and had some beers with some friends the other night. And they're like, what'd you learn this week? And I said, this is what I learned. (laughs) And I said, you know, I never, I never thought of that because I was like, I was excited about the fact that I simplified it because yeah, you know, or you think, I don't know if it's true, but you think you found a better way to try and communicate something that is complex. And yeah, you got to simplify it, but still encapsulate enough to make it pretty close or exactly what you were trying to say. And I want to make it clear. I mean, I I believe that a lot of these people believe what they're saying, whether it's true or not. And same goes for all the scientists I talk to and believes obviously a bad word, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like you don't really get the dishonesty or like the shystery vibes until you start creeping more into like the UFO stuff, in my opinion, um, that does exist in the alternative archeology. span No doubt. There's people talking about like crazy shit that I would never even have thought of. And there's no, it's like purely speculative at best. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that, um, it's important that people like you speak up, people that are passionate, whether it's about the Sphinx or the pyramid or somebody studying consciousness and have a breakthrough or something, you know, any, whatever it is, just let's have these conversations, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's do it. You know, that's, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing it. And I really, like I said, enjoyed preparing for it because it opened my eyes to something I hadn't really seen. Yeah. Well, let's wrap it up here. Thank you so okay. much, Robert. Um, like you. I said, we'll, we'll work on trying to get this dialogue set up with Randall, possibly. Um, and I just want it to happen. So um, whether it happens here or somewhere else, you know, if it happens somewhere else, I'll definitely be watching. Uh, but, um, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing, and we can have you back on and talk about Gobekli Tepe if you want. Um, Sounds good. And, uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time and the research and Same everything you put here. into it. Let me know when your new paper is out. We'll definitely have you back on for that. We can talk about your paper. Um, and, yeah, that's it. But uh, right. everybody can check out Robert Schneiker. Yep, robertschneiker.com. And uh, check out part one. We did have a little bit of a falling out at the end of the last section. So, Uh, If you missed it already, we did do a part one, so go check that out. Um, And, yeah, if you want to support Mind Escape, the best way to do it is to go to our Linktree link down below. And we've got a Patreon. We've got a merch store. Uh, You can leave us a nice, you know, review 
um, on Apple Podcast or Spotify. We'd appreciate that. Shout out to Sam. Thank you so much for the super chat. Shout out to Ambient Glass, my boy Adam. Go check out Ambient Glass, uh, Ambient underscore Glass, I believe. Or no, it's um, Ambient Glass on uh, Instagram. Go check them out. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Um, I'm probably not going to be back with Mind Escape until after Christmas, um, but look for part two of my near-death experience where I will talk about the psychological effects and uh, mystical components of the near-death experience I had uh, about a month ago. So you can watch part one of that if you haven't. It's like the kind of how it all went down. But um, but yeah, I just want to say I love everybody and uh, you know, life's hard and we don't know what other people are going through and their struggles and stuff like that. It's a tough time of year. Uh, my cousin recently passed away, uh, who is actually Maurice's younger brother. Um, so if you know Maurice or you interact with Maurice um, and, um, on social media, please reach out to Maurice and give him your condolences, and uh, we'd really appreciate that. It's been a really tough few months here. So, uh, But we'll, we'll be back, and hopefully we'll be bringing you some new content um, uh, after the new year. But listen... We love everybody. Stay safe out there. And uh, I'm going to play the uh, trailer to our documentary, uh, As Within, So Without, as we get out of here. And uh, just love everybody. Stay safe out there. And I hope everybody has a happy and safe holiday. Peace. I don't have to believe something's here. There's no question about that. They are not just from this planet but based on the characteristics they're most often described having, that they're simply us from the future. It was um, the biggest aircraft I've ever seen in my entire life. It was semi-translucent, it seemed. We see four orange orbs flying one after another, basically in formation. Um, I think in a way, you know, you could call a UFO a flying dream. Out of the cornfield, that seven foot tall, gray, menacing, communion looking alien or whatever you want to call it. Because it can be a multitude of things, of deities, of godlike creatures, of aliens. The reality that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis seems to be this very, very thin slice of something far larger and far more complex. As within, so without from UFOs to DMT.